Hey friends, this is Holly Goodman, and you're listening to Isaac's Autism Wild podcast, where we focus on topics related to raising loved ones touched by autism and its impact on relationships and family. I'll be sharing some of my personal parenting experiences, raising my son Isaac, who passed away in 2007, as well as an entirely different parenting experience as I now raise my son Caleb, who never ceases to blow my mind with his beautiful autism perspectives. So grab a drink and join me as I interview this week's group of exceptional autism parents. All right, thanks for joining us for another podcast of Isaac's Autism Wild podcast. I have a group of friends joining me tonight talking about trusting your gut when your child has no words. And it was interesting because before we started recording, I had a moment of panic because I was looking at my parents and I was thinking to myself, wait a minute, maybe in my mind, what we're podcasting tonight is actually different because a couple of my parents have kiddos who actually are verbal. And so then, of course, when we were chatting before the recording, um, there were some really good perspectives just um, shared in that short period of time. So I think this is going to be a very informative podcast for even those who have kiddos who are higher functioning. And so I'm going to just preface this by saying that I have, um, John and I are here actually podcasting together, my husband and his son Cooper is sitting with us. So if you hear some, you know, humming, clicking, clacking, or even like tapping, it's because Cooper is sitting next to me and he is a um, young man of 17 who has few words, but he does click and clack and hum and he can make a great impersonation of a cell phone vibrating. So half the time, I never know if it's actually my cell phone that's humming, like vibrating somewhere, or if it's just um, Cooper imitating it, but he does a very nice job. I also am, um, Cooper likes to sit outside. So we're sitting outside and so you might hear an airplane. So I, I do apologize, but um, so let's start. I'm going to start with, um, actually, I'm resuming this particular podcast because we're still doing some COVID quarantining. Um, so Tanya, you're on my Brady Bunch screen on the top left. So I'm going to go ahead and start with you because you were one of the parents um, who your son is very verbal now. You've actually been a podcast guest um, numerous times and you have mentioned that um, your son is very verbal. Um, but there was a time where he wasn't verbal and you have some stories and perspectives to share on that. So why don't you go ahead and, and give us that perspective? Well, our first red flag that something was like going on developmentally with our child was that he wasn't talking by the age he should be talking. And what age was that for you? Cause you know, boys, they always say it's kind of different. Like depending on your era of parenting, like with that, and I did not listen to my pediatrician at the time. Because we went in at 18 months and Logan had one word, which was high. Which was high. Yeah, he said hi. And that was it. And he could find more. So those were the only, his only communication. And his pediatrician at the time, she was actually a nurse practitioner. She told me, she's like, well, he's a boy. Boys develop later. Wait till he's two. Um, You don't want to get him stuck with a label or anything is exactly what she told me. I was like, oh, yeah, the fear of the label. The label, I know. So me, I have a background in child development. I got my degree in school counseling and I have a minor in psychology. So I took child development classes in college. And I was like, wait, kids by the age of 18 months are at least saying more than one word. Agreed. And so at 19 months, I took him in on my own referral to have him evaluated. And I was like, worst thing that happens is they tell me he doesn't qualify for services. But if he does, it doesn't help to, it doesn't hurt to get him intervention early. Yeah, agreed. He catches up, he catches up, and then he may not need it in the future. And so, and sure enough, he qualified with a 
developmental delay, specifically in speech and cognitive at the time. And so we began services right at 19, 20 months because he still wasn't talking. But everything else aside from communication was looked pretty good. Yeah. Like he felt normally he never had like, I know a lot of kids with a lot of people with kids on the spectrum, they see it like a regression, like they were talking and then they stop. He never had that. He just didn't progress. I gotcha. Never really had like a regression per se. He just was low at making progress. Um, well, that's interesting because that actually kind of, um, mirrors some of my frustrations, especially, you know, cause I've done two, I've had two kids with autism, Isaac, who would be 17 and then Caleb, who's now 12. And the thing about it was, is, um, Isaac was my first born, um, not necessarily the first born for my ex-husband. Um, but for me, you know, when, you know, the whole communication thing, you know, you take him to the doctor and you're absolutely right, Tanya, you, you oftentimes, because they're boys, yeah, um, it's they're poo pooing you because, oh, boys are late talkers. Um, yeah. So you have a gut feeling you have concerns. And then when you hear that, it's kind of like you don't really know because these are the experts. Right. Mm-hmm. Now, I will tell you with Caleb, he um, that wasn't the concern that that wasn't my red flag concern for Caleb because he always had language. Um, mm-hmm. That was never an issue that was delayed. It was all of the sensory overwhelm and his um, when he would get overwhelmed or you would get too close to him, he would turn his head away from um, the person. And so I always thought that was really and just his gaze shifting was different. Um, but I have to tell you, that's just one of my biggest pet peeves with. Um, medical providers is the whole garbage about, oh, boys are just slow to develop and let's just wait and see. Um, yes. So now you said, um, David, you also are joining me tonight and you have a delightful daughter. Actually, she's and Caleb are the same age. Um, and she also is very verbal, but you're joining me tonight because you have a really good perspective about just how they can advocate for themselves. So why don't you kind of talk about how you have to trust your gut um, as a parent in, in, in respect to, um, just understanding what Morgan's needs are. Yeah. And how'd you say it? It's like, it's the fact that she doesn't advocate for herself with words. She has words and there's ones that she uses, but then how about the time where, you know, she's throwing a tantrum and going on and carrying on and on and on. And finally like, Hey, sweetie, are you hungry? Yeah. Like, Oh, we could have avoided this whole 20-minute debacle had we known that. Or, you know, outside being completely uncomfortable and then noticing, like, well, it's 48 degrees. You have nothing but your pajamas on. Hey, are you cold? Yeah. yeah. Well, then, um, why don't we go address that? But also, um, you know, how she falls through the cracks in school. Because she would be um, perfectly happy doing nothing if, you know, they, there weren't attentive teachers noticing that she's doing nothing and she's not going to point out that you know hey i'll sit here for six hours doing nothing and no one's going to pay attention she won't advocate for herself because you know what the school district right now addresses specifically are the ones that have behavioral issues she'll never be a behavioral issue and they'll think oh she's fantastic the problem is she's not learning anything unless you know somebody um you know, notices the fact that, hey, Morgan, you're kind of falling behind. So that's our gut saying, hey, just so you know, if you notice this and this, you do need to go and make sure that she's keeping up. 
Oh, David, uh, that is such a really good point because I have to tell you, I have lived this. So that same thing where, unfortunately, my mom gut didn't tell me there was anything going on. But that same thing, too, is, is that all I ever got in, in Caleb's early years of school was that he was just, oh, such a delight in school, so easygoing, blah, 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 you know, gets along with everyone. And really... I ended up getting called in to volunteer in the classroom for something because they needed just an extra set of hands. And so I went in there. And then, of course, I'm watching and observing my child basically sitting at a table, staring at a wall, literally twiddling his thumbs, staring at the wall. And so I asked the teacher, I'm like, well, what the hell is Caleb doing? She says, oh, that's just what he does when he just gets overwhelmed and he needs to just like um, time to regroup. Um, So like, how long does he do that? Well, as long as he needs. Um, So... How much of the day do you allow him to do this? Because let me just tell you, as a parent, that that is not overwhelm. I exactly, David, what you're saying is, you know, when you're melting down, you're having like behaviors, um, that is when he needs like time to check out and kind of, you know, regroup. Um, that was not what I observed. That was just basically him just preferring to not do the task at hand. So he figured out that this was an acceptable thing that he could do. And, um, but again, I didn't have, I, you know, I had no idea. Like all I was getting is all these great mm-hmm. reports about the fact that he's just so easygoing, so compliant. Well, guess what? It's because he doesn't demand anything of the teacher. And from a teacher perspective, I think that's probably, that is a delight to have in the classroom when you're having to deal with other students that have, that need more support. But unfortunately that doesn't advance oh. Caleb where he needs to be. So, um, you know, that was, I feel like when you say that, that was actually one of those moments in my time in life where I kind of felt like, oh my gosh, I'm a big failure. Cause I had no idea that was basically what was happening in the classroom. And had I not just been pressured or felt like I, I, I needed to step up, I, I would have never known that that was what was going on in the classroom. So, um, and Caleb's very verbal, but again, you think he's going to come home and say, yeah, mom, I spent like uh, three hours sitting at the table, uh, staring at a blank wall because, um, yeah, that's. That's not what Caleb would do. So, Geraldine, you're joining me too. And um, so share with me your perspectives. Is Now, as I was talking a little bit negatively about our educational experience, um, congratulations, Geraldine, on um, getting your master's degree in education and becoming a, a teacher. I think we're all giving you thumbs up in our cameras. Also, too, the cool thing about this, I think, for us as a um, special needs community is, is that you're also a special needs parent. So that is kind of a little, I I feel like that's an added bonus because not only do you live this life, you also, then you're going to take those expertise in the classroom. So where have you experienced um, a situation where you've had to trust your gut when your son hasn't been able to um, express in words what was going on? Gosh, all the time. So just listening to your guys' stories makes me really kind of reflect on how my son is. So he's definitely different he's always been i guess verbal but kind of what tanya was saying is my son was like delayed in his speech as well and that was like our very first indication like that something was up with him because he met all of his like physical milestones like he was walking at nine months like he was i mean he was doing all these things but then that verbal language just wasn't there and unfortunately where we lived was very rural so we had to and there was like one doctor in the whole state that was able to like diagnose him so it was kind of difficult to get through that process but 
it's interesting because my son, he's verbal and he tells you kind of what he wants. That's when he does speak. Like he will let you know when he's hungry, when he's cold, when he's upset. Like it might not always be, I'm upset, but he'll definitely do something or say something that will tell you that he's upset. Will you explain like how he feels about COVID when he talks about his how his yeah. how he feels about COVID? So, so he's really good to explain this. I have to say, like he's really good with technology and computers and iPads. Like he's always just like picked up on it really quickly because he watches me on the computer or on my phone and he just like takes it and he does stuff. I'm like, what the heck are you doing? How did you do that? So he sees like the backspace and the delete button. Yeah. And when he sees, when he thinks about COVID-19, he puts on his little cape too. He wants to be a superhero. And when he puts on his cape, he's like, I'm going to delete COVID-19. <laughs> so, I mean, he's very specific about like what he wants. I mean, he makes no bones about it. He's like, COVID sucks. When you talk about that. When you told me that he wants to delete it, I was just like, oh my gosh, that's probably like the best in my mind description of how I feel about COVID-19 too. Yeah, let's just delete it, buddy. I agree with you. Let's just delete it. Totally. I tell him that all the time. I'm like, buddy, you would just be like a billionaire right now. If you could figure out how to delete COVID-19, that would just, that would be fantastic. So, so Elian, he's very, he's very practical with his speech. He's, so if he's tired, I'll say I'm tired or an OT recently he was doing sit-ups and he got to like 15 sit-ups he's like my tummy is tired so I mean he yeah he's verbal he doesn't have like great he doesn't have great communication skills or if you ask him why that's definitely more difficult for him but he'll tell you what you need to know he's very practical about it but I think still like as a parent my biggest concern always was what if something happens to him, whether he's at school or he's just somewhere and I'm not around and he's not able to communicate what's going on. Like if somebody hurt him in some way, like how is he going to be able to tell me that? And I think as a parent with, um, with a child with special needs and who has like specific communication challenges, like what what would I do like would I be able to figure out what's going on by the way that he's behaving um would I be able hopefully I would be able to trust my gut and know that something happened if he's not able to tell me exactly what happened well and that's the thing too even um Elian has actually like gotten well I hate to say lost he actually was on a on a mission he did um but you he was lost to you he knew where yes. he was going to be um but even was did people engage him to try and figure out or did how did that refresh my memory how that whole came about because that has to do with communication in terms of just him you know yeah. how you were able to locate again so that time not that i'm aware of i don't think any engagement in that time that you're talking about i think you're talking about the time that he got lost after the um the autism 5k yes Oh, yeah, he ended up running down through several streets of downtown and me and my other son, we realized that he was gone because um, this was at the Red Wagon. Like he went down the slide at the Red Wagon and I wasn't sitting at the same place that I was when he got down. So he kind of panicked and he's like, oh, where's mom? Like, 
And he ended up going like back to the parking garage where we were parked. Like that's how we found him. Like he was trying to go back to the parking garage. But as far as I know, nobody else like engaged with him Hmm. to see what he was doing. But he was waiting for the bus this past year. And don't get me started about the buses. Oh, you're right. I forgot about Yeah. He was waiting for the bus and he takes like the special uh, transportation and they pick him up right in front of our house. So I was at work finally I get a call and like, Oh my gosh, I gotta go. I gotta take this call. And it's from his school. And one of my neighbors apparently was talking to Elion and because she saw this little boy, you know, standing on the street and she's like, Oh my gosh, maybe he missed his bus. I don't know what's going on with him. But the school's like, yeah, your neighbor is saying that, um, he's waiting for his bus and his bus hasn't come. I'm like, well, you guys need to tell me like, where, where's his bus? Like, why is he out there? So he did tell her like that he went to chase middle school and you know what the situation was. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, I've got him, he's pretty programmed to know, okay, if the bus doesn't come by this time, like he's supposed to call or text me. And I think she talked to him before that. Okay. So he was, kind of like confused on what he should be doing if he should be talking to the neighbor or if he should be calling mom so I mean he gets his point across he doesn't always do it in the most effective way sure well I'm gonna switch over now to my husband John who's sitting here because he is the parent of Cooper who you might hear um humming humming and he's scripting um he's scripting off to our right here um but Cooper, of the parents that are talking tonight, Cooper probably has the least amount of language. He repeats pretty much, he repeats a lot of what he hears. Um, In fact, actually, I was just telling you guys before um, we started is just today, um, you know, it's, he mostly just repeats back what you say to him, echolalia. And so I walked in the kitchen and he had a, he must have saw me coming because he just shoved everything that he had in his hand in his mouth. And I was saying, Cooper, what are you eating? Because he's been known to just take frozen pizzas or frozen food out of the freezer and just eat it frozen. And so I was just worried that he had, um, you know, eaten frozen chicken nuggets or who knows what else. And all he kept saying to me was, um, you know, Cooper, what are you eating? Cooper, what are you eating? Cooper, what are you eating? And then finally, about the fifth time, I was like, oh, my gosh, like, what am I doing here? Cooper, point to me what you have, like, what you put in your mouth. And then he pointed to a McDonald's bag because Dad had bought him some McDonald's, like, biscuits. And so that's what he had put in his mouth. But, um, you know, pretty much um, Cooper does have some, does I wouldn't say spontaneous language. Sometimes... How he words things. Oh, tells occasion, on occasion. Yeah. On occasion. Oh, you know what? Actually, he does have some spontaneous language. When he um, he's re- obsessed right now, he also is very upset with COVID-19. He calls it the sickness. Yes. And um, so um, he, he wants will, to go to the gym once the sickness is over. Yeah, that's what he'll say. Go to the gym when sickness is over. Yeah. Or he'll say um, when the boat is fixed, John is still working on fixing our boat m- engine, which Cooper is fantastic at reminding him. Every single day, go tubing when the boat's fixed. Mm-hmm. And so those are like, about, but that's about the extent of how many words he puts together. You don't mind jumping in here, Kali, because um, a couple of things have come up, uh, something Geraldine said. But first and foremost, Morgan goes beyond COVID. It's 2020. She wants to flush the whole thing because <laughs> not only did dad get smart, caught, smart girl, all her vacations got canceled and she's just done with the entire thing. But I think something Gerald Lund experienced, and then mm-hmm. I think this could be instructive to just parents in general, the mm-hmm. kids that you know don't have kids on the spectrum, because we had a similar situation recently where 
you know, surprisingly of the two of our kids, it's Morgan, the one with autism that likes to kind of get out and roam around the neighborhood. And she's been doing it a lot. And one day a neighbor came up and uh, just said, hey, you know, Morgan's like two streets down and getting close to 29th. Oh, no. And, yeah, yeah. And, you know, honestly, it, it was concerning, but... So, and she's like, so one neighbor was there. Another one was tracking her in the car and going very slowly by her. But what availed itself later was they never actually said anything to her. And I think they heard the word autism and said, well, geez, we don't know how to approach this. So we'll track her, but we won't say anything. And the thing is, it made for a pretty funny miscommunication because then when I got down there, I said, so Morgan, did you see the car there? She's like, yeah. I'm like, so... What was going on? She's like, well, I, I was following it because I thought they were going so slow, maybe they'd run out of gas. And I'm like, that is so sweet. But the fact is, people oh, it was awesome that they were tracking her. And they simply had said, hey, what are you doing? It might have, you know, yeah. generally her turning around, going back home, whatever. And then, of course, I picked her up and I kind of showed her what the dangers were the 29th. But it's almost as if I think people assume, well, the kid has autism and probably can't communicate real well you know, understandable, but this is just kind of shattering this. Yeah. It's so true. That is so true. Well, and that's the thing too, is, is it's interesting though, that they wouldn't have had more just, you know, um, experience and just knowing her profile a little bit more since she is in your neighborhood. Cause you, know, you kind of start getting to know, you know, just from observations when you live in a neighborhood, kind of some of the, you know, whether the child's verbal, nonverbal, um, that sort of thing, you know, fortunately, um, John, you had lived in a neighborhood um, with in a cul-de-sac, actually. So your neighbors were pretty dialed yeah. into. Yeah, they, you know, Cooper's communication is gestural mostly, and so he'll point at things and, um, and and I guess backing up in contrast to what it sounds like your experience was. Cooper was speaking in full sentences at twelve months. He was walking at eight months. Um, and 18 months, it just shut off. So, you know, I got videos of him at 16 months on a little motorcycle thing. Going, hey, Dad, watch this. That's the kind of deal, you know, with him. And and now, you know, getting him to to answer a question is uh, uh, tasking at best. But he does, you know, in his own way communicate. And I think, like like Holly had said, probably David with your daughter. You know, people in the neighborhood know how to talk to her because they've been around her. They understand her more so than at least than some of them. The way public does, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I think with with Cooper, you can work through it, but you got to be pretty perceptive on in watching his body language and understanding his uh, intonation uh, or his uh, you know his, his voice cadence to to, to understand how even he just how he repeats stuff too. Yeah. Just how he repeats stuff gives us a lot of hints in terms of. Uh, you know, getting uh, an indicator, even just watching how he stems um, tells me, you know, kind of what his mood is. But, you know, we've had issues. We've had, well, like with uh, Christmas, Holly asked him one time, you know, Cooper, what do you want for Christmas? And, and he just, just blurts out pajama pants. Well, I was expecting him just to repeat back, you know, what do you want for Christmas? And then all of a sudden he says, jammy pants. And I was like, oh, my gosh, go out and buy this kid 25 pairs of jammy pants. But uh, Cooper, um, the thing is, is when we're talking about trusting your gut, it's I think with Cooper, you know, this is just even the last two, three weeks we've been having, you know, we had a little issue three weeks ago because, you know, he had a little just, you know, health issue. 
and um, it was things escalated. And um, I mean, why don't you kind of share like that whole how, you know, trying to figure out trusting your gut and what's, you know, it ended up John felt as a paramedic firefighter. I think think that's why you were thinking it was medical. He was uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, but kind of talk about how like you're te- uh, yeah, literally uh, having to try. Yeah. I mean, he's literally punching himself in the face and getting giving himself a bloody nose, hitting himself. And so again, when you have a child that's escalated to that level, I mean, he never puts his hands on anybody else, but he hurts himself terribly. And that's when you have to kind of trust your gut to try and figure out what's going on. So. Well, and I and I would uh, also say that, and Holly's right. You know, he got really escalated, and, and with these kiddos, a lot of times you get, you know, uh, continues to get worse and worse and worse. And so, and I got to plug CBD at this point because I gave him some CBD, and it kind of brought him back to center. And then we were able to kind of figure out what was going on. And uh, you know, he was having some some issues with uh, his tummy was hurting him, and his uh, he, he was <laughs> he had a stuffy nose, man. And, you know, he was uh, just, I think, you know, I can't imagine how frustrating it would be to have your, your your belly hurt or your nose hurt and not be able to tell somebody, hey, you know, my, my belly hurts and my nose hurts. So I guess I can understand his frustration. I mean, we've all been in a situation where we can't communicate the the uh, the message we're trying to, to convey and it causes some frustration. And, and like I had said before in our trainings that Holly and I have done with other fire departments, you know, one of the, the populations of people we deal with sometimes is stroke patients who, uh, who've, you know, have been able to speak their entire lives and communicate their entire lives. And, you know, sometimes some of them become unable to speak. And it's some of the most frustrating things, you know, for them to communicate, having been able to communicate for their entire lives. It's a, it's a frustrating thing. And with, with Cooper, he's no different. He gets wound up and continues oh, to get wound up and gets worse and worse. And, and like I say, thank God the CBD works for him because... It kind of brings him back right. to center, and uh, then you're able to, to at least get some, you know, some dialogue or, or some communication back. But uh, you know, he's uh, and knowing him and how he gets out of control. Uh, you know, it was nice that the CBD works, and we found that it works really well with him. So yeah, uh, I, I guess I would plug that for. For sure, I yeah, absolutely, I, I agree. But and that's the thing I think that's hard is is that um, you know for some of our kids, you know, we're literally when we talk about you know applied behavioral analysis, it really um, when you you know everybody calls it ABA, but when you actually think about the nature, what that is is really what you're doing is you're observing behavior to try and get information about what what's what's being communicated, what is the behavior communicating, and it's hard when you have a kiddo. You know, like Cooper, where he, you know, his functional communication is very small. And so really, we're constantly having to watch behavior and and trust your gut, your parent gut, to try and figure out, like, what is causing the problem or his needs, um, you know. His wants, he usually is pretty good about communicating just gesturally or he'll just help himself to it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, his needs, like when he's not physically feeling well, it's just a little bit more challenging. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's like, you know, I, I think there was one night he was getting kind of agitated and started to get spun up. And honestly, I think it was because 
the kids in the living room wouldn't turn off the TV and he wanted, he w- likes to sleep on the couch. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter if, you know, you could offer him five beds and he likes to sleep on the couch. And I think mm-hmm. it's because then mm-hmm. when stuff happens, like when people wake up and stuff or things are going on, then he's there and he's like, he wakes up and he's like, can see what's going on. If he's in a bedroom, then he's less, he's more removed. And so he's not as aware of what's going on. So I think that's why he likes sleeping on the couch. But he was just getting really, really spun up. And I honestly think it's because the kids were still up watching TV and he was just like, he wanted the TV off. Um, and so that's what's hard is you know, you're just constantly trusting your gut and just trying, you know, tinkering with things, I guess is what I always do. It's like you're, you're, you're tinkering with things to see whether or not you notice a change. But here's another thing I'm going to bring up. And we never did get to the bottom of it, but this is the kind of stuff where it just, it's still, it bothers me. And it's probably fine because you also have to understand like we're an autism family. And because Cooper sometimes at times, you know, he gets escalated. And so, you know, you do have to kind of, you know, pull him where you need him to be. But we were doing something and um, maybe we could change his. Oh, he's getting in the hot tub, I think. And there was some bruises on the inside of his arms that were like the lines where you could definitely tell they were like finger marks. Yeah, somebody had grabbed his arm. And this was before school let out. And it bothered me because I was like, Cooper, what happened to your arm? And all he would say is, what happened to your arm? What happened to your arm? What happened to your arm? But he can't tell us what happened to his arm. Now, it very likely could have been brother was having to force him to get in the car because like they had to go someplace and he didn't want to go or whatever. But you start running through your head like, oh my gosh, did somebody at school do this? Like, did, you know, like, but if something at school happened and they had to put hands on, they should have to, they're supposed to tell us. Um, and that's the thing. It's like, it always, again, probably a logical explanation, but it, that's, I think when it drives home, the fact that when you have a kiddo that doesn't have functional communication, if somebody is hurting them, like, are they going to be able to tell you, or again, are you watching behavior to try and see, you know, figure out what's going on? I've had parents say, well, actually not parents. It was a teacher say that, you know, they didn't want to send a child home because they came to school on the school bus. were very, very happy did a great job at school, but then all of a sudden when they made the transition at the end of the day to get on the bus, the kiddo would escalate, they would get him loaded on the bus, and he would literally kick the bus windows out. Okay, well that's a pretty clear indicator to me that there is something at home, that child is, you know, something about leaving school or potentially going home is that's a major red flag, and the teacher is asking, you know, me, like, what should we do? My goodness, because that's a definite situation where you got to trust your gut, right? But, you know, again, what is a mandatory report? We just were releasing our podcast episode this week. Um, We interviewed a CPS caseworker on just kind of the whole child protective service and mandatory reporting. Um, And that's the thing is, is that teachers and certain providers are required to report if they suspect child, if they see or suspect child abuse. And so that's that question is does that warrant a mandatory report? I mean, clearly the child is upset, doesn't want to go home. Um, Is it that they just like the structure of school and when they go home, there's less structure? It's really complicated. And when your child doesn't have words or your kid doesn't have words and can't tell you, hey, this is what's going on, um, it's really um, more challenging. Anyway, so I think it's a really good perspective. Um, Just, you know, there's all different variances of where you have to trust your parent gut. You know, I... 
I don't know about you guys, but like I, I still like there are times where like my I feel like my mom gut when it comes to my teenagers. <laughs> I feel like my mom gut is pretty on target with those little hooligans trying to pull one over on me. But when it comes to, you know, Caleb, again, I gave the example where he's sitting in school for God only knows how many months doing a whole lot of nothing. Um, and I had no idea to even question that. Um, you know, another thing, you know, my son Isaac, before he passed away, he never had he never had functional language. He was just getting to the point where he was saying, you know, love you. Um, right before he passed away and he was starting to imitate and, you know, say, you know, like being able to, you know, recite and comment on cartoons that he had watched. But, you know, that's the thing that's hard, you know, like, you know, my son passed away in 2007 and I have replayed that last night a million times thinking about, you know, like, did I miss something? You know, like, had he had words, could he have told me something? Um, and, and I think that's really what's hard. And so I, feel you know like you know i'm really insecure about my mom gut when it comes to you know my special needs kids do you guys ever do you guys feel like your mom or dad gut is royal on target because like i said i my gut kind of scares me um just because i feel like i've missed things where i'm really disappointed in myself about yeah i was gonna say i'm i'm totally with you i feel like i go both ways on my mom gut you know it really reminded me of when my son was at his old school, when we lived up on Five Mile, he had a situation there that neither me nor the teachers could figure out what was going on. So he would go to PE and for a while it was fine. And then all of a sudden, he just could not go into the gym anymore. It did, does not matter what they did. They had the PE teacher turn down the music. They... Um, they tried like various, they tried various things. I can't remember everything they tried at this point, but he would just freak out and just every single time he tried to go into that room during, however, he would go in there like after school. Cause there was like the after school program and he would, he would go in there during that time. But like during PE, it didn't matter what was going on. If there was nobody in there, if, they were starting class like but if it was during the regular school day he just melted down and just couldn't go in there so I mean we got to the point where it just was like stressing him out to be in that room and I couldn't figure out what it was like I went to the school I tried to like troubleshoot what was going on his teachers who knew him over the course of several years like they couldn't figure out what was going on and that was like one of those times where I really like wondered if like I had totally lost it and like, have I totally lost like what's going on with my child? Like I, I can't figure it out. And it really had me thinking the worst case scenario was kind of like, Oh my gosh, like, did somebody hurt you in there? Like what, what happened in that room that makes you not want to go in there? So, I mean, like I said, I'm totally with you. Like, I just, I feel like most of the time, I, I can understand what's going on, at least with my child and maybe sometimes with other people's kiddos, depending on like how well I know them. But there are those moments absolutely where and that was probably one of the biggest ones that I've had that I just can't I even trust my gut anymore. Like is do the things I think I know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm totally off. I have no idea. I have something to add to that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, but when uh, Logan's very verbal now, but when back when he didn't have language, we went through a period when he was a toddler and it was one day he had a little bit of a cold. 
but he started randomly like just falling over for no reason. And he didn't have the words to verbalize, you know, what was wrong. And he would just fall, he would stand up and then he would fall over. He would stand up and then he'd fall over. So I took him to the pediatrician and he couldn't tell us what was wrong. But the pediatrician's like, well, it could be in the beginnings of an ear infection. So she checked and she's like, no, it's not that. Well, we were in the meeting room at the pediatrician's office. He looked like he was dr- a drunk toddler. Like he was like, looked like drunk. And he actually fell over while we were there and split his lip open because he just couldn't stand. And my mom dad was like, well, I don't know what's wrong. So I want to just kind of rule everything out. So hence we ended up, because he couldn't tell us what was wrong. So we ended up scheduling and um, with his doctor called and said, let's schedule him for an MRI just to rule any possible things out. And fortunately for us, his MRI, we had to put him under a general anesthesia for it, but it ended up coming up normal. And then he got right back to, he kind of, it lasted a couple days and then he got back to normal. And our only theory is that, you know, maybe his cold was causing him just some dizziness that he couldn't verbalize. Well, like vertigo, you think? Yeah. Oh. It was like just really random for a couple days. Like he looked like he was drunk and he was just a toddler, but he couldn't tell us what was wrong with him. And so I wanted to just, my mom that was like, I want to just rule everything out. Yeah. I tell you what, that's, I mean, that's true. And that's the thing, I guess, you know, when you have a baby, they always say, trust your mom gut. But, you know, again, when you're a special needs parent, I feel like it, it's, you know, when your kiddo is little, you know, infant, you know, newborn infant, you know, toddler, you have to rely on that mom gut or dad gut for a long period of time because they don't have the words. But like, again, uh, John, you've been trusting your dad gut for now 17 years with this one and will be trusting your dad gut for a lifetime because of the lack of words. David, how do you how well do you trust your dad gut? Is it pretty solid, do you think? You know, I guess I look at it a little different is I just allow for the fact that my gut is not always going to be right. And I try not to dwell on the fact I just allow the fact that some days I'm going to be dialed in as a parent. Some days I'm going to be clueless as a parent. And I have to factor that in without like really being hard on myself or any sort of reproach or repercussion towards myself because of it. I mean, I was, it was interesting. I was on a bike ride the other day and I was talking to Meg and I'm like, remember that park we went to that one day where we played in leaves, except Morgan was going batshit crazy the whole day and we couldn't figure it out. Isn't it great that like, we haven't seen that much lately and that's awesome. And so is that my gut like is on par now and we're figuring things out, except I allow for the fact that next week it could go back to that again. Yeah. And then you're back you know, to this, that shit crazy, right? Yeah. And this is what we're dealing with. And, you know, I'd love to say that my gut's always on, but my gut is also directly proportional to how much energy I have that day. You know, I mean, maybe my gut's not in focus with what's going on with her because I've just reached my capacity today. And tomorrow, guess what? The same behavior. And all of a sudden my gut's going better because I just have more energy. So I just, I mean, for my own sanity, and I try to reinforce this with Meg too, I just have to allow for the fact that there are days where I'm not going to know what the hell to do. Go take your iPad, go upstairs, disappear. I'm going to disappear. We'll try this again tomorrow. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So what about you, first responder, John? Now that Because you, you are a, a seasoned veteran, first responder. Does that automatically make your gut like stronger, better? No, I, David put it on it really, really well. When, when you're tired, you know, you're not as perceptive. Your 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 senses, your your tolerance for for dealing with things is much much uh, less. And you know, 
that's a great point. If you're, you know, if you're refreshed and you're, everything's working and you're, you know, you've not had to make, I took a leadership class and I said, you can only make 75 decisions a day uh, where you can really concentrate on them, right? So you can make good decisions 75 a day. And that comes from, you know, and one of them is what socks do you put on? Whether you take a shower, you know, those kinds of things, right? So, you know, at the end of the day, David's right. When you're, when I'm fresh, I feel like I'm much more perceptive and much more tolerant of, of things. And I'm able to kind of work with Cooper and work through things. But, you know, when I'm not, it's much tougher. I mean, there's no doubt. It's, it's a hard, uh, when you're, when you're tired and you're running on empty, it's a hard thing to, you know, to try to, to, to decipher, right? I mean, cause that's what we're doing is with our nonverbal kiddos, it, we have the luxury of having them tell us exactly what's going on. We're, we're dealing with the situation where we have to become a detective and infer through actions, uh, you know, uh, body language, uh, you know, position about what's going on. So uh, that's a great point. I think, you know, you can be your best when you're rested. So however you can do that, that's great. So that's a really good um, plug for self-care. Self-care is really important. So Anybody else have any great stories to share about touching or trusting your gut when your child has no words? I don't know about you guys, but um, one thing that there's actually a workshop that the Arc of Spokane is putting on virtually. I'm going to make a little plug for them here shortly. Um, they're doing a, oh, curse, maybe it's tonight, Anna. Um, so maybe this plug isn't very good, but they were doing a webinar about, um, you know, sexual assault and prevention when it comes to um, individuals with disabilities, because the sad reality of it is, is that sexual abuse and rape is very common, more common when it's a person that has a disability because they're a vulnerable population. And of course, these predators um, know this. And so um, it's one of those things, too, where, you know, I think it's great that the Arc of Spokane has these webinars. Right, Betty? Um, they have these webinars that help that help parents be able to kind of identify. Cooper is waving in the background to everybody in case you didn't see that. But they have this great webinar that's supposed to help parents understand what they should be looking for, what are red flags. Um, the fact that, you know, maybe, you know, God forbid there's parents out there that don't know that your child, whether they are female or male, have a higher likelihood of being, um, you know, sexually abused because of their disability and they don't have words. And so that's another thing too, is, is that we have to be, um, you know, cognizant of that and hypervigilant about trusting our gut. And so if I know that they're offering this particular webinar periodically, I just know that it's coming up. If it is, hasn't happened by the time this podcast has aired, I'll be sure to link it in, um, the post. If it, if I can find out the schedule for the, any future ones, I'll um, absolutely share that with you guys too. But I think it's just something to be thinking about just, you know, even in terms of just safety, um, you know, when someone's hurting them, how do they have words, which then of course leads to our conversation about CPS last week. We um, actually it was we, today or this week, we're releasing our CPS interview with um, a caseworker. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things that they do talk about is, is that CPS workers and mandatory reporters have to trust their gut when they're when they suspect child abuse and neglect. And so, you know, understand that, you know, sometimes it's a very close person to these kiddos that's doing the abuse. And, you know, even when we talk about 
you know, Cooper, it's like you're having to examine your own mm-hmm. child. Um, you know, it just so happened he had Mark on his arms and we, you know, we're, we don't know what happened. You know, it could have been something on the bus for all we know. But, you know, being hypervigilant and, and I do, you know, we were... I think more critical of the CPS system when we did that interview, because again, some families are being turned in for things that, you know, like are just natural to their child. Their child is naturally hard on their body. They do self-harming, they bite themselves, they punch themselves. Um, And so unfortunately people that work with our kids see some of this. And then of course it's a mandatory report, but there are, I want to make sure part of this podcast is to kind of be that opposite end of that spectrum is, is that, you know, by trusting our gut as parents, um, you know, it goes to even our, our mandatory reporters, they're tasked with having to trust their gut. And since our, some of our kids don't have a voice, they're having to trust their gut by observing certain behaviors and making judgment calls. You know, I mentioned the little boy that was kicking out the windows in the bus because he didn't want to go home. Um, and so, you know, we want to make sure that, you know, there's a lot of different aspects of trusting your gut and, you know, the whole intent is, is that we're trying to keep these kids safe. Um, so if I seemed critical of the CPS system, um, last week, I just want, you know, I do get frustrated, but I also just want to make sure that we're clear this week about making sure that I, I acknowledge the fact that. You know, we are thankful that there are people that are trusting their gut and, you know, observing some of these behaviors and trying to do their best to keep our special needs kids safe. Does anybody else have any stories or anything to share or piggyback on anything before we wrap up this podcast? I have one thing to add. Yeah. Since I have a very verbal child who's conversational. Well, and I, okay, can I just make a comment real quick before we move on from this? I think that this is very hopeful. Okay, David, you're shaking your head. I'm going to do it anyway, because as the podcast host, I get to. Honey, I think it's very encouraging the fact that you are sharing with us that your son was not verbal. And that was one of your initial concerns because he didn't have words. And then now... He is a very verbal young man. So I'm wanting to point this out because I want to give people hope that even if you have a young kiddo and they're nonverbal or not a lot of language, there's hope, Tanya. So thank you for actually pointing that out because that's encouraging. So continue with your thought. So even so now that he's older, he just turned 10. And so while he's completely verbal, like he can tell me his wants, his needs, no problem. He, I can have a conversation with him. Um, but he, when he gets upset, he has trouble verbalizing what's wrong at that point in time. Like, even though he has words and he has language, but when he's upset, his ability to verbalize any of it goes out the window. So like today he came home from his grandparents' house and he was upset about something. And I could tell by how he was acting, like he was like swinging his arms. And then he sat on the couch and he kind of had this like angry look. And I was like, you have to tell me what's wrong. I can't help you work through it unless I know what's wrong. But he would not say a word. Instead, he would just kind of like act out very grumpily. Like when he's just upset, like his ability to like verbalize what's going on. And so then I'm like trying to play this guessing game of, okay, so what happened while you were over there that made you so upset? (laughs) Like, Was he able to finally tell you well so i had a clue already he called me from um my mother-in-law's phone while he was over there um because he was upset and he said something about it having to do with bugs and he has huge anxiety over bugs and it's because yeah so he was up he was had great anxiety over a black black flies he claims he saw over there so but that 
just, yeah, set the whole tone for him not speaking and just acting out. I'm like, he was all upset over bugs, but I had to like draw it out of him. Yeah. So like when he's in the middle of a meltdown, like he, he like loses his ability to like verbally communicate. He just acts out and you're like trying to get to the bottom of like trying You're like, if you just tell me what's wrong, I can help you figure out the problem and help let's find a solution. But he's, he just can't verbalize it when he's upset. Well, and I'm going to say, Tanya, you know, God bless that poor young man, because here's the thing. How many times have you guys got a fight with your spouse or significant other? And then mm-hmm. after the fact, you know, when you finally calm down, you think of all the amazing things that you could have said during that fight, but you never thought you couldn't get the words out because you were just so frustrated, right? I have a lot of great, like, after, like, conversations in my head of things I would have liked to have said in the midst of a conflict, but you just don't have that high-level brain capacity. Well, and I, and I will tell you that, you know, it's not just, you know, our, our autism population that has that problem. Every brain under stress does not function higher brain function is impossible and it's from the days of being on the plane seeing the <coughs> lion at the water hole going oh i gotta run and i gotta run now uh, you know it's higher brain function just doesn't work so you know i i talk to people in my investigation uh duties right now and you know a lot of times i kind of like talking to them after they've settled a bit because the propensity to lie goes away they are very truthful. Um, and then sometimes when they come back to me and try to clarify a point that they made, then sometimes I know that, okay, well, that now they're trying to... Now the lies are... Now coming. they're trying to pull the wool over my eyes. And it's like, you know, I was born on a farm, but not yesterday. So it's one of those things where, you know, stress does does cause problems, even with neurotypical folks. So, um, and, and Holly mentioned that, you know, after she calms down, she's able to say the things she stuff. wants to. That's the beauty of my job is I get to deal with stress all the time. So I don't get rattled. So I say exactly, I, I get to get the zingers in there. Yeah. And then the zingers just, you know what, guys, um, I will say, I'm going to, I'm going to say something here because I have actually gotten good at staying with the clever response, even under duress and stress. Uh, when it comes to the marriage, that is not always a great thing. No, uh, no. I, because you, you think like I, I could have done less damage if I had been a little less clever. Yes. Uh, and just actually, Shut my mouth. Yep. So I have actually started now mastering the art of like, I got it right here, but it's not coming out. Nope. Yeah. There's the reason I'm not married anymore. There you yeah, go. Jerry Lynn is. Yeah. She's like, yeah. She's- I'm, I'm free at last. <laughs> I hear you. Well, thank you guys for taking the time on this lovely Thursday night to have this conversation about our, our guts and how they have, um, impacted our parenting and um, hopefully benefited our children over the years. I am going to make, this is where David, I'm going to call upon you to help me make my shameless plug. So if you were listening to this um, podcast, Isaac foundation and project ID, which is another uh, local nonprofit here in Spokane that serves the adult population with disabilities. We were the beneficiary of a beautiful Ziggy's She Shed. So it is fully furnished with all the things that a woman would love to have. And it's in an eight by 16 shed that would go perfectly in a person's backyard. And so Isaac Foundation and Project ID right now are selling raffle tickets for just $5. And you can pick them up at any of the Ziggy's locations in Spokane and um, over in um, Hayden, Idaho. And also we have a couple locations, we have other locations. So there's um, a couple locations 
um, from Zips that are selling tickets. We have 27th Heaven Bake Shop that's selling tickets. I'll put all of these locations in this particular podcast. But here's my shameless plug. Everybody needs to go out and buy tickets because David's trying to win the she shed for his backyard. And we want to make sure that David spends lots of money buying more tickets so that he has a better chance of winning. So we've uh, done the project of uh, renovating our backyard for quite some time. We're doing it ourselves and we have two different levels in the backyard and we finally got the lower level done. And then I'm sitting there going like, what's going to go on the upper level? I haven't the foggiest clue. Meanwhile, there's this thing going on with the Isaac Foundation, Ziggy's and the She Shed. And I'm like, okay, that would be kind of neat, whatever. Um, And I actually purchased the tickets that day that it just came together. Like, this would absolutely be the perfect thing to go up there. It would fit perfectly. So, Geraldine, yeah, I saw your comment, but I'm sorry. It's mine, not yours. No, sorry. (laughs) You live close by. I can come get it. It's fine. Yeah, I can see it would probably be easy to lift. Neighbors, yeah. Yeah, we're we're encouraging everybody to buy She Shed raffle tickets, and especially because it's going to force David to panic and have to buy more raffle tickets, right? Yeah, I guess somebody had come in with 20 today. I only got five, but that thing's mine and nobody else's. But I, you know, (laughs) but if if it's the case that I don't win, by some miracle, I don't win. Because I'm going to win. Yeah, I'm, yeah, thank you. I'm going to go get one anyway. I'm going to figure out a way to uh, I'll have to purchase one. Maybe I'll purchase one for Geraldine after I win. She's so adamant. <laughs> I am okay with that. My birthday is September 20th, and we're neighbors. I mean, it's only fair, right? Totally. Absolutely. So that's my shameless plug. I, I am so grateful to all of you that are joining me because I'm looking at your guys' faces, and I'm like, I know for a fact you have all purchased your She Shed raffle tickets. So I do appreciate it. Um, understand that it is becoming increasingly difficult for us to sell the raffle tickets because all of the community events that we were to sell at like the Spokane Interstate Fair um, Pick Out in the Park is in question Hoopfest, Bloomsday uh, like number pickup all of those things cancelled and so we are finding ourselves really struggling to sell raffle tickets right now so any purchase, any $5 raffle ticket purchase really matters even if you don't want the she shed buy the raffle you can ticket. give it to me then you oh, can i don't have help working on my backyard as a single parent <laughs> who's now like a, a teacher during you know all this covid oh, pandemic i could really use a little space of my own out in my backyard so i mean this is kind of my shameless plug for whoever when the she shed if it's it. not me i mean especially if it's you have the neighbor david over there you know he might it would it would be great in my backyard. It gets in. I don't think we have the room in our back. Our backyard's small. I love you, Tanya. We've been. I've known you for years. So thank you, Tanya. <laughs> what a good friend. So I don't know if anybody has picked up on this in previous podcasts, but Tanya and Geraldine actually went to school together, and then of course now you guys are both autism parents and have kind of you guys have. Well, you guys both moved away from Spokane and then came back to Spokane. So like, how ironic. <laughs> Something about this place. I know it is. I don't know quite a few people who grew up here who moved away and then moved back. Never wanted to come back, and yet here we are. Here we are. Circling back on something here, Geraldine. I um, that's a wonderful plea. Dream big, but I will not be swayed by guilt. Um, (laughs) I can. We'll work on that. Yeah, but. Yeah. 
Sorry. Doesn't work. Not buying it. <laughs> the other shameless plug I'm going to make is, is that one of the most effective things that we have found that's helping us sell tickets is actually families have um, offered to check out tickets and are selling them to their friends and family. So if you are listening um, and you are interested in checking out a book of 50 tickets because you want to sell some um, to your friends and family, that actually would be hugely helpful. Just today I walked, I drove around with my son Caleb and we delivered over 100 tickets today. So it's pretty quick. So anyway, so those are my shameless plugs for today because I figured, you know, we have a lot of local people that listen to our podcasts and um, I'm trying to get people to force David to have to buy more raffle tickets. I'm in. <laughs> I'm, all, I'm buying more. Okay, perfect. Oh, you guys are wonderful. I I'm poking I'm Braille into mine so whoever's drawing them can just like feel the Braille like on the tickets and just pick them. <laughs> oh, is that your strategy? Cheated. Right. That's a good tactic. Cheating. Yeah. It's not cheating. It's just a good strategy. <laughs> well, thank you guys. And fine line. Yeah. Well, thank you guys for joining me again and for helping me make a shameless plug for Ziggy She Shed raffle tickets that benefit Project ID and Isaac Foundation. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap up today's podcast of Isaac's Autism Wild. We hope you join us next time. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe. And just remember, we're all in this together. So find your tribe and hold them tight.